Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. D3 day. It's Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth. And we had technical problems like I do so often. So joining me today is just Doug Cornfield, who is an author, speaker, and former college athlete. He's the director of the Disability Dream and Do Sports Camp, D3 Day, created with Dave Clark. In college, he was a top contender in track and field and a scholarship athlete at the University of Georgia. His professional experience includes time spent in both the family entertainment industry and as a senior financial advisor for Merrill Lynch. More recently, he partnered with Dave Clark to organize their company and run D3 Day events, where the duo create opportunities for children and young adults with special needs to interact with professional sports players and compete with no limitations. Thank you so much for being here and everything you're doing. It blows my mind. Well, it's it's not without ch- its challenges, but it is a privilege. I tell people to do what I get to do, and you Dave know, made it. Dave's making it. Oh my goodness! He I figured it out. You oh my gosh! I'm so well, proud of you, Mr. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Can you hear me? Okay. We, we can. can. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. You, um, you are one of a kind. Do you want me to read your bio or would you like to just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you? Maybe you better read it. (laughs) Well, I could give it too, but he, you know, he he gets mad at me. No, uh, Dave's a one of a kind. There's, you know, there's no doubt about it. Polio survivor, uh, as an infant, he's never walked without crutches or braces. The real quick skinny on Dave is he had a 17 year career playing minor league baseball on his crutches only professional baseball player to ever do so. Um, Olympic coach, uh, international coach, owner of a famous um, professional baseball team called the Indianapolis Clowns, still holds the rights to that team today. And, you know, we go on and on and on about why his his story should be made a movie, but uh, let's just call him the infamous Dave Clark for now. (laughs) We were connected in a roundabout way because of podcasting. Yes. And your mission and what you are doing is so much more than that. And I feel so connected and aligned with what you're doing. It's called pulling each other along. Why don't we start with that story? Let's go to your childhood. I forgot. I think you were seven or eight years old, Dave. Dave, yeah. you, you, you tell the that story. Was, uh, that was a long time ago, but uh, never forgot what a little classmate did for me um, to change kind of the path of uh, my life at the time. Uh, because I, you know, as Doug said, I had polio when I was 10 months old and <clears throat> walked with crutches and braces and uh, was brought up in a family that didn't treat me any differently than anyone else. And that was kind of rare back in that period of time for that to happen because most, I mean, they, they had places where they put people like me. And uh, uh, my mom was uh, adamant that I was going to go to school in a normal school setting, not a special school. And I was going to have to deal with uh, steps, doors, whatever was thrown in front of me. I was going to have to deal with. So I didn't feel any different uh, growing up than my brothers or neighborhood kids or 
um, anyone else until I got to grade school. Uh, once I got to uh, kindergarten, uh, the bullying started. Bullying is not new. Uh, the only thing that's new about it is the way, the way it's done today. <clears throat> bullying has always been there. Um, so I was picked on. I was bullied because I looked different. I walked differently. Um, I was a little bit slower uh, going places than the average kid. Uh, <clears throat> so in first grade, uh, the teacher announced a walking field trip to the fire hall about five blocks away. <clears throat> and, um, you know, for me, it was anxiety, uh, two weeks of anxiety and building up bigger and bigger every day as the event got closer. For the other kids in the class, it was day outside of the classroom. So they were they were all stoked about it. Um, so, as I said, the anxiety grew every day a little bit more, a little bit more. And when the day got there, it was pretty much off the charts for me. I really didn't want to go to school. Um, I tried to play sick with my mom. She looked right through it and said, you're not sick. Get your brace on. You're going to school. And so I went to school. When the teacher announced, all right, line up. We're getting ready to go. I did the only thing my little six, seven, eight-year-old brain could think of to defend myself. I went to the back of the line and I was thinking, uh, all right, I'm going to wait for the line to, <clears throat> to, be, to construct and then I'm going to go to the back, uh, the very end of the line. That way, if nobody looks behind them, maybe they won't see me dragging behind and I'll catch up before they, before they see me. <clears throat> I didn't have to worry about that because, uh, uh, just before we started, a little classmate of mine named Ernie Pound pulled up a little radio flyer wagon, and he said, I brought this to school for you to go into it today, Dave. Jump in. I'm going to pull you. And that turned the whole day around. Um, it seemed like every kid in the class wanted to take their turn pulling me. Um I didn't have to worry about keeping up with the class. We got to the, to the uh, field trip and I took part like everyone else. So I felt included. I didn't feel excluded. And um, I never forgot that. Never forgot that little act of kindness and uh, uh, the, the ironic end to that story is that Ernie and his family moved to California after first grade, and I never saw him again. And uh, and then a sports writer collaborated with me on a book about my life story, and I put that story in the book uh, because it was so important to me at that time of my life. And Doug happened to be reading that part of the book and found Ernie unknown to me, uh, you know, he found Ernie and at the very first book signing I ever did, Doug knew it, my wife knew it, Doug's wife knew it, but Ernie showed up and I didn't know it. And uh, we had a fairly good sized number of people coming to that book signing. And so I was looking up and I'd say, who would you like this sign to? And I'd write it down. And, all of a sudden, this I looked up and said, "Who would you like this sign to?" And uh, 
the gentleman said, uh, you can sign that to um, Ernie Pound. What? The emotions were pretty high at that point, and uh, uh, Doug caught it all on video. <laughs> so, uh, but that's that's the, the the origin of the pulling each other along story. Imagine being Ernie. You know the title of the book. A pound of kindness. That's the children's book. Pulling each other along is the adult version where we have uh, the story told in a little more depth. And you're still in touch now, I imagine. Yes, yes, we've we've stayed in touch. Ernie lives uh, about thirty to forty miles from Corning, New York, my my hometown. I live in Florida now, and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we we uh, um, exchange letters and cards and phone calls, and I see him occasionally. What a beautiful thing to do, Doug. How difficult was it to find him? Interestingly enough, I was in my office at the time um, as a financial advisor, and I was rereading the book. And, you know, kind of my side of the story is I had read the book in transcript time, but now I was helping Dave actually organize these book signings. So I was rereading it in my office, getting ready for some book signings. And when I reread that story, it was like, oh, my gosh, I get the I get the goosebumps every time. And I'm not even that emotional of a guy. And even while Dave's sharing the story, and you don't, Samantha, you don't realize how many times this story has been shared in our lifetime in the last 10, 12 years. And I still get emotional listening to Dave or talking, even sharing the story myself. But here I'm, I'm reading that story. I have a son that was born with neither arm developed. And so I knew the impact was really strong for that story, for Dave to never forget it. And I just, I was just rereading it. And I go, I got to find this guy and went to the phone book. This is how long ago this was and found an Ernst Pound in the phone book living about 45 minutes away. Ernie's family had resettled back into the area, but not into Corning. And I had that awkward phone call from my office and he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't, you know, it probably said Merrill Lynch on the caller ID. And lo and behold, though, I got him to talk and I said, hey, I was wondering if you went to first grade in, you know, in Corning and he didn't even want to answer that question. And finally I said, you brought a radio flyer wagon to school to pull one of your classmates and he thanked you in a book. And he kind of stopped, I guess, for a minute and, you know, it's all vague, but uh, the one thing I remember him saying, he goes, he goes, yeah, that was my sister's wagon. And so the wagon is what he remembered, not Dave. Didn't know Dave went on to have this really remarkable career of coaching in the Olympics, coaching for the Atlanta Braves, playing professionally on his crutches. And then there's one more little tag that I don't often share about Ernie is that Ernie was a professional pitcher as well. No way. <laughs> so, so there's a little twist to this, but yes, it's true. <laughs> um, Ernie is actually in the Hall of Fame in New York for horseshoe pitching. He is a professional, been paid for, gone all over the country, even world, I think internationally, and is one of those horseshoe throwers during his youth that was the top of his game, like tops in the world kind of guy in his class or his division. And so I say they're the two most unique pitchers that came together 45 years after first grade. That's so amazing. Yeah. And we don't think about those little things holding the door, doing something that means so much to someone else. Did you ever tell that story before the book? Did you talk about it throughout 
adulthood as you were living life? Never. No. No. It was just one of those things that the, actually the sports writer, um, Roger Newman, was a sports writer for the Elmira Star Gazette, which is the sister city of Corning. Um, he brought out a lot. He brought out a lot in the uh, old memory bank just by uh, the way he, uh, I got to give him a lot of credit because he stoked a lot of long hidden memories and events and, and uh, things that I didn't really think were that important. I guess you might say. And um, I think Doug has done the same thing in terms of my story because I didn't, I didn't really, how many guys play professional baseball? I mean, there's a lot of them. We all have a story. And uh, so I didn't, you know, once I hung up the cleats, I, I just didn't think, isn't just a, another guy to play a little baseball. And, um, and then, uh, we started, I had always done these camps and I never gave, I started these camps in the seventies. They're not what they were then. They weren't what they are today. They were very impromptu back then, but that's where the seed was planted way back in the seventies. And I never really gave many, any thought. I, I guess I was a guy that lived in the moment. And well, I always lived in the moment. I did it. It's over with. Move on. And uh, that's what I did. And uh, Doug, you know, I can see now the impact that my story has. And so uh, I got to, you know, I got to thank Roger Newman and Doug Cornfield for that. Your story has huge impact. You're so humble. These camps, by the way, are free for the kids, correct? Correct. Yeah. Never. That was that was one of the things that I was adamant about the first time Doug got involved. I said, the day we charge a penny is the day I don't do them anymore. So we 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 and uh, thank God, you know, Doug has done the bulk of the work in the fundraising department, and uh, um, we are able to keep these camps free to the kids and their and their parents. I love that you see yourself as just another guy who plays baseball. That's amazing and a huge mindset component piece that we can address. But in the eyes of everyone else, you're not. And there are people with disabilities who never, ever consider the fact that they could play a sport. So how did you grow up saying I'm not different and I can do anything I want to? I'm going to tell you a story in third grade. Um, up until third grade, I was not allowed to participate in phys ed. My teachers looked at the cover of the book and didn't open it. So they figured he's got crutches and braces. He can't physically do these things. All the time at home, I was doing them playing sports with my brothers, neighborhood kids, never giving it a thought, second thought. I mean, I, I always say that I was fortunate to have had polio if I had to have it. When I was 10 months old, I hadn't learned how to walk yet. 
So I just grew up using four feet instead of two, my two crutches and my feet. And that was my norm. So I figured out how to do things right from the get-go. So in third grade, though, we had a different gym teacher. His name was Mr. Snetchler, and he was a military man. Crew cut. This is in the, like, 1960, early 60s. And the very first day of class, he's got us all around him. He's telling us what we're going to do that day in class. Claps his hands. Let's go. Previously, there had been a chair set on the sidelines. Wherever our, the gym class was held, that chair was for me to go to and sit. So I'd been conditioned. You know, back in the 60s, you did what you were told. And I automatically started for the sideline in Mr. Snetchler's class, but there was no chair. I kept going anyway because I thought, oh, he forgot the chair. And all of a sudden I heard, where do you think you're going? And I turned around, I was shaking. And it was Mr. Snetchler and he went. So I had to go over to Mr. Snetchler and he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Dave, he said, there may be things that you are not able to do in this class, but you will never know what they are unless you give them a shot. And in my class, you're going to give everything a try. So that day it was climbing the rope to the ceiling. <laughs> and my turn came and I thought there is no way I'm getting to the top of that rope. But he said, I got to try. So I'm going to give it a shot. So I put one fist over the other. Now I had 10 pounds of leg braces on. But what I didn't realize is that using the crutches, walking with leg braces, I built up a lot of upper body strength. So I put fist over fist, and I got about three quarters of the way up, and I was gassed. And I stopped for a brief second, and my mind was going, all right, you're, you're far enough. You've gone farther than any other kid. You did a good job. Then the other half of my brain kicked in and said, no, 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 no. You're three quarters of the way up. You're going up. So that reserve tank, that proved to me a couple of things. A, there's always more in the tank if you reach deep. Anyway, I got to the top. And I was the only kid in that class that got to the top that day. I did have a problem once I got to the top. I couldn't form that little S with your feet to slow the descent coming down because I had braces on both feet. So I literally slid down the rope hanging on with my hands and burned the living crap out of my hands on that rope. But when I got to the bottom, I always said it was the best burn feel I ever had because the kids' jaws dropped. They were all, He's, he made it to the top. Everybody was... I was looked at differently because I accomplished something. And all of a sudden, the bullying began to stop. And the next thing we did in that class was baseball. And I found out the only thing I couldn't do is 
run fast. So then my little analytical brain had to kick in. What positions in sports do your strengths lead to success? So I had to figure that out in every sport. And I played ice hockey. I was a goaltender. I played baseball, first base and pitch. Places where you could use your strengths and your weaknesses were a little bit hidden. And once I started playing baseball, I found out that um, that I could compete. I could compete on an equal level. And uh, I wanted to play Little League, so my Little League rejected me. Uh, they wouldn't let me play. I was going to get injured, according to them. So my parents' corning is only about an hour and a half from uh, Williamsport, which is the headquarters for the world headquarters for Little League. They literally drove to Williamsport and fought for me. And I got in. And... I guess the rest they say is history. So that was the beginning. What a great teacher. There's also an ending to that story. And I'll let Doug tell that. So um, we had thought possibly uh, that uh, Mr. Schnetzler, Coach Schnetzler had passed away. And David started sharing that story often about the rope climb. And, and actually referred to him as a Marine often. Um, Dave, for whatever reason, you know, the crew cut and that, that stern, deep voice that scared the heck out of all the kids. Um, he, we thought he, Dave would just refer to him as a Marine. And I wound up finally through Facebook finding a William Schnetzler on Facebook, and it was his son. And, was wound, and I was able to connect him and found out that this coach Schnetzler was still alive. Um, so I think he was 93 at the time when all this was taking place. And then we started finding out all about this guy. So three tours in Italy, 10th division, whatever mountain division with the army, not the Marines, um, went in as a private, came out as a colonel. He was a commissioned colonel. So this, this guy is the cream of the crop kind of person. And we just found out of all of these things and wound up getting asked um, through some connections that we had for Dave and he to meet in DC, in Washington, DC on Veterans Day, on, no, on VE Day. And um, the World War II Memorial. World War II Memorial. And we were able to pull those two guys together for another, another meeting. This one wasn't a surprise, but uh, what was cool about it is um, Dave escorted Colonel Snetchler when he was presenting a wreath um, on that, on that very ceremonialist day. And, and uh, brought the two together, and Dave got the lather up and cry like a baby, giving giving Coach Snetzler, or we should say Colonel Snetzler, uh, the pulling each other along award that Dave and I present, uh, which is an award that we give out to people, um, mostly unsung heroes that have uh, really done something great in the community, mostly things that they've done in the disability community. And uh, we just gave one of those out a week ago. We have another one coming up this weekend. Uh, which is really exciting. Um, we haven't announced the winners yet, but we'll be giving that out on Sunday, I believe on Sunday or Saturday during our, our festivals with the the New York Yankees organization with our Disability Dream and Do Sports Camp with the Hudson Valley Renegades. What goes on at the camps? What? <laughs> how do the kids transform? Talk a little bit about the entire experience and 
I think like um, yeah. the, the, the way we structure the camps now are totally different than the seed that I planted in the 70s. And I believe that there are many, many people benefit from what the camps do today uh, because typically I and our other Dave, Dave Stevens, who was born with no legs and, and has had an exceptional sports career, We'll go into the locker room with Doug and we'll speak to the players prior to the camp beginning. And one of the points that I get across to the players is a, you're going to feel awkward at the very beginning. When you go out there, it might be situations you've never dealt with in your life. Um, and then I say after about 10 minutes, you know, forget about all that. You're going to meld right in. And I hope all of you play thousands of games in your career. If you're like me, you forget most of them. <laughs> this one you'll never forget this day. And it's so true because we've had so many connections made from the players to the campers. The players will move up to the major leagues and they never forget the kid they met in. Fort Myers or Hudson Valley or Rochester or, and they continue to stay in contact with them. And uh, then we move on from the players and I, uh, we address the parents and caregivers and I'll tell a quick story. And my basic point to that group is we have a tendency to reel in the leash real tight when we have, a child or someone with limitations, don't do that. Let, let that line go a little bit. It's okay to get a skinned elbow and a little cut on your, on your chin maybe. Uh, obviously, don't let them sit in the middle of a railroad track with a train coming at them, but don't restrict because everyone here has potential, but you don't know what that is unless you let them try things. And that's Mr. Snetchler coming through <laughs> later. Uh, and then we address the participants. And basically that's, no, you've been waiting for 25 minutes here to get going. Let's go. And everybody runs out to their pre-assigned station. You know, we have stations set up that we will rotate uh, through. And so everybody gets to do everything. And they're pre-assigned a number to what station they go to. And we start and we run through the camp. When everybody's been through every station, we do what we call a high five game. The pro players will form a semicircle from first base to third base on a, 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 a little, uh, we, we. It's like a wiffle ball size field. Yeah, we don't put down, we don't play on a major field. Um, and the players will high five them. Each person will get make contact with the ball, and then they run the bases. And the players high five them. It's one of the highlights. It's it's a tremendous, uh, especially I'll tell you what the camp coming up, Hudson. They're all good. They're all good. But I'll never forget a Hudson Valley camp that we did. Uh, for whatever reason, those players were stoked, and uh, uh, the the energy levels were just off the charts and 
So that's what we do. We end it with the high five game. We give each participant a certificate, and then we host uh, a luncheon for the families, the participants, the players, and basically that's it. And Doug, you want to add anything? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously part of it, sometimes it's the pulling each other along award and, you know, all these children get hats, they get t-shirts, you know, that's part of our fundraising for the camps, but it includes all of our travel. Dave coming from Florida, the other Dave coming from Connecticut, me coming from New York, no matter where the camps are. And, you know, in multiple days, usually for me to travel to each event in preparation for each camp, uh, just across T's, dot I's, get volunteers, get food, you know, all the stuff that has to take place for these kind of things. And, and then, and then we actually have another day event with our pro camps where all of these families get tickets to come back to the game the following day, or usually the following day. Sometimes it's a few days later. It depends on the schedule. And, uh, and oftentimes we get the children on the field with first pitches, with hi-fi tunnels. Um, I'll even take a child who seems talkative up to the radio booth to get them on, a, on, the, on the booth for a broadcast, throw first pitches. Um, this particular camp, we have more lined up than we've ever had before, um, including um, we've partnered with the Magic Wheelchair. Um, which if you have never seen, just Google Magic Wheelchair, go and see the beautiful wheelchairs that they make. These aren't just like a Halloween costume kind of thing, which are super cool. I've seen some of those that are super cool. This is a keepsake for the children or young adult that gets one of these wheelchairs. And it's a it's a decorative piece. It'll and it gets presented. And we're going to do a wheelchair reveal on Sunday for one of our participants that's been with us for several years. Um, she doesn't know she's getting this. She I'm I'm the only one. I have actually seen a wheel. That's that's the most that I've seen. Um, I'm privy to have seen a wheel. Uh, let's just say this is going to be a majestic wheelchair. Uh, the little girl is um, from India. She's got a rare form of dwarfism. Um, she actually has a huge following on Instagram uh, that was un they didn't intend this. It just kind of happened. And uh, she's got a beautiful personality. She's mostly nonverbal, although she is learning how to speak some things. Um, and she just has a beautiful spirit about her. And so she's going to be getting this magic wheelchair presented during the game. Um, we're also having a check presentation. And we're also doing a pulling each other along presentation with the pulling each other along award. So <laughs> it's not just the disability sports camp. It, it's we've created this thing where when we say disability dream and do we, we really want to make it a dream and do kind of day. And that's what happens. I also want to talk about pulling each other along. We had a call and we talked about the fact that we all need to be pulled along at some point, but we also pull others along. Yeah. And it's, it's this movement where we're lending a hand and we also need a hand at different times. And so to anyone that is moved by this and wants to get involved, that's how I felt. I was like, forget the podcasts. <laughs> this this touches my heart and I feel really connected. And so if you're touched by this wheelchair or if you're just touched by this movement, this started with honey. You guys were originally 
making honey, selling jars of honey and doing your fundraisers that way. And now it's turned into um, people who are just really, really moved by what you're doing and joining the movement and becoming a part of it in that way. So I want to at least mention that and acknowledge that we all need other people in life and are there to help others through life. Right. If you remember the song from the birds, there's a time to kill, there's a time to be nice, there's a time to mourn, there's a time, you know, that, that they sang. And actually, that's taken from Ecclesiastes, for those that don't know, that whole that whole time uh, to do this, time to do that. And uh, David gotten hurt. He dislocated his elbow on a scooter accident uh, with his son. And I had to fill in for him as the keynote speaker at the World Congress on Disabilities in Atlantic City. So I'm literally driving down with my family and I'm in the passenger seat. I usually drive, but I'm driving in the passenger seat because I'm on my computer figuring out my keynote <laughs> for for like the next day. I think it was the next day or this is that day even. I don't even remember. So I'm, I'm figuring out this keynote and I came up with the idea that there's a time to pull and then there's a time not to pull because sometimes when you're pulling people, you're actually not helping them. And then there's a time to be pulled and then there's a time not to be pulled because you can do it yourself. And I used examples mostly of Dave Clark in that keynote. And that kind of started this whole pulling each other along. There's a, you know, obviously using the wagon story, uh, but I tell it in, from a different perspective because, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't the person, I was the person affected by the story and I get to share it in a different way. And, and, uh, and so we've now created as Samantha is a part of the pulling each other along collective where we're gathering successful entrepreneurs um, and some organizations to be a part of our group where we truly don't want to just take a donation and say thank you. We are actually creating a business that um, is creating a means where people are supporting what Dave and I are doing the other Dave, but also we want to give back and support you and support you where we can with our connections, with uh, our insight, with Jessa Grace, who's a part of our team, and she's just an amazing business um, um, coach that we have involved with ours. And we have a very simple way to get in and we have a more expensive way to get in. And we'll have another level up as a full sponsor of one of our camps so that we can get back to where we were as first goal of doing these camps since COVID and then expand this to where, where we really believe and hope it should be, which is literally nationwide, if not worldwide. How do people who have friends, family members who want to attend the camps, find you, attend, donate, anything. So D3 Day is on the donation side. You know, so if they want to just donate, find out where our next camps are. We just had three camps. So we did one in, in Florida, one in um, Rochester, New York, one down in Hudson Valley this weekend. I say we just did. It's, it's done in my mind, but it's actually this weekend. And then we also um, have, we'll do our Corning, New York camp if they want to come to Dave's hometown. Corning is actually a great little vacation spot if they want to travel from wherever. Uh, we'll be posting that on our website. Um, we also have done this event in hockey version. Uh, as Dave alluded to, he was an ice hockey goalie. Uh, again, one of the things that makes his story start sounding, you know, fictional is that he played <laughs> ice hockey in college, even though he couldn't skate. Um, and so, and then he's called, he's been a, a radio announcer, uh, in the college ranks in the, in the minor league ranks. And he's even had his cup of coffee announcing at the NHL level. So it's, uh, when you don't think you can do things, um, I've got these two days that would tell you differently. And then we have a whole book in the pulling each other along book 
of other people that would tell you differently as well, both with intellectual challenges and physical challenges or both. And, and it's a privilege to get to represent and, and pull these people in. And, and so there's, there's just so many different avenues of where we go. But if for D3 Day, if they just want to know about the camps, that's where to go. Pulling each other along is where you would go to find our books um, about the, the, the collective. There's a page on there in the collective. Sign a little form saying, hey, I'd like to meet you, you know, talk. We can set up a Zoom. Um, I'm also pretty easy accessible on LinkedIn or even Facebook because there's not very many Doug Cornfields in this world. So um, I get to be distinguished there where there is a million and a half Dave Clarks. So he's a little harder to find. <laughs> And I just want to point out that when you were talking about not restricting uh, parents, not restricting, I was thinking of so many different issues, right? Not just physical. We could be talking about someone dealing with depression. Exactly. Right? Like this is not just physical. So whatever you're dealing with, this doesn't only apply to physical disabilities and baseball. Right. No, this is mindset, no. and this is judging a book by its cover. And people who said um, you must not be able to do physical things. And so, to anyone out there who is struggling, to anyone who is in a really, really dark place, who feels like something isn't possible, this could apply to you. Get the book. Listen to some of Dave's talks. Listen to the podcasts. Uh, it might not be about baseball, but you can still get out of that dark place through these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I always, uh, when I say it, I, I, I always say it's a, a camp for physical and mental limitations. Right. And even some of the hidden ones, you know, so there's, there's hidden ones that people don't really see. And, you know, and I'll get to interact with, with some parents and they say, oh, this isn't for my child. And, they think they can't do anything. And I'm like, no, this is exactly who that's for, you know? And cause I've had that conversation often. I said, no, this is, this is perfect. And you know, even we just had a young man from Germany. Um, I'm not sure how old he was. I think he's close to 30 uh, years old and his sister takes care of him. And because they had such terrible care for people with disabilities over in Germany, she literally moved her brother and found a job. And as we, we met her in Tampa or in Clearwater, Clearwater. technically, at a Philadelphia Phillies spring training game. And they were sitting, cause we were sitting in the ADA seating with Dave uh, with a scooter and they were beside us and, you know, conversation gets, gets up. And they, I told him, well, Dave's the only professional baseball player to ever play on crutches. And the one guy was a huge Phillies fan, Eric's his name. And, and he wanted to see a picture of Dave and I have a picture of Dave in his Phillies uniform. And he was just like, this is crazy. And of course we got to tell him we do these sports camps and they wound up coming to our Florida event. And, the amazing impact is that here, this 30 year old young man with cerebral palsy, you know, had some serious issues. He's catching and throwing a ball and having the time of his life for the first time. And he's actually getting to experience things. And uh, we don't know where that's going to go, but that's what we want to inspire. And whether it's intellectual challenges, even, you know, if somebody, if there's a child that has cancer or if they have diabetes, I mean, different things that affect them. They are certainly welcome to our events, but they do have to sign up early now because we are overfilled with this Hudson Valley camp. Um, and when I say overfilled extremely, it's going to be by far probably biggest event ever. And uh, so if you, and if people want to volunteer as well, if you're in the Hudson Valley or Hudson Valley, New York area, if you want to travel a little bit, um, that's this weekend. You can go to our 
D3 Day page and sign up as a volunteer as well. So there's lots of opportunities, but for us to grow right now, Samantha, it's primarily getting the funding engine going again. Uh, we know how to do the camps. We have the connections for the events. Um, people love the event and, you know, now it's just, okay, we have to be able to survive financially and, and not, we're not just looking to survive. We want to thrive financially. And so that's, that's our mindset. And so beneficial. Think about, even just think about overprotective parents who um, are not letting their kids do things out of fear. This is a great way to just learn how to loosen the reins and let people thrive and have a successful life. We, we want people to be happy and successful. And I talk all of the time about um, hovering, you know, when, when are we protecting and when are we really hurting? And so these are great supervised ways to teach these skills. For sure. And, uh, and, and, and truly they get to dream and do, and they get to be on the field and, the interaction again between these pro players. Um, I've, I've literally talked to pro players. Um, you know, one of them comes to mind in the Minnesota Twins organization a couple several years ago, and he got to really interact with one of the families. And, it, and it's a pretty heart wrenching story. He was having lunch with them after the after the event, and he basically told me the next day when I was interacting with him, um, he basically said he went into the locker room and he couldn't stop crying for thirty minutes. Yeah. You know, and that's a that's a young man, professional baseball player. And that's, you know, what is what is the richness of that? How do you put a price tag on that? You, you don't um, to the to the parents like me who have children with limitations, whether they're intellectually or or physical or both. Um, there's no real price tag on it, but there is a cost. It's just we don't put that cost on the parents to come. Dave, Doug, any any last thoughts? Thank you both so much for your time. I could talk all day. <laughs> well, there's plenty well, more know. stories where, where Dave comes, I, I, that's for sure. I don't know. Do we have time for one more story, Samantha? Always. Um, I want to I tell the story about doubt because it's very important that um, parents with kids that have limitations, physical or mental, it's okay to doubt. I want to... I wanna, tell a story about my own mom. Um, it's okay to doubt, just don't show it to your child. Um, so I had this career in baseball and I retired as a player and after the 1988 season. And I was up at my parents' house in the fall that year watching NFL with my dad on a Sunday afternoon. And my mom came up to me as I was sitting in the rocking chair and she handed me an envelope and she said, read this. And I looked at the envelope and it had our number one, it had our neighbor's address on it from way back in the seventies. And I was like, what is this? And then it had a postmark of 1971 on it. And I looked up at her. She was standing there and she said, read it. So I opened it up. It was a reply from the scout that eventually signed me with Pittsburgh to my mom, answering a letter that she had sent him, basically telling him that she pretty much knew I wasn't going to make it. 
to let me down easy. It was my dream to have played professional baseball. When the time came to pop the bubble, please do it as easily as you could for Dave. And this is his reply to that letter, because I could figure that out just by reading the letter, what mom must have said. And when I looked up to her, I, after reading that, I looked up again and she had tears streaming down her eyes and she said, how could I have ever doubted you? So you can doubt. Just don't show it. You never knew. Nope. Because if that doubt had been shown, could have changed my whole mental thinking. Don't show the doubt. You can have it. Just don't show it. Why do you think she shared it with you? I think she was, my parents were always uh, very open, very honest, didn't hide anything um, except their doubt. Um, because when I asked, you know, I can remember asking to play ice. I'm, I'm going to, no, I didn't. I never, I never even asked. I didn't feel like I, I told mom, dad, I'm going to play ice hockey now. I didn't say, can I play? I, I'm going to play ice. I'm going to try ice hockey. The only thing I remember mom saying is, okay, but the day you come home missing a tooth is the day you're not playing anymore. <laughs> Thank God I never lost a tooth. Now I got broken bones and busted up. Uh, got nailed in the head and uh, all those concussions, those things, but never lost a tooth. <laughs> so I was able to continue playing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I think mom wanted me to know that she had doubts and she was sorry that she didn't believe in me more. And she wanted me to know that. How could I not believe in you? And you believed in yourself. I think that's the most Always. part. Always. Um, uh, they had to rip the uniform off me. Post-polio ripped the uniform off me. Because um, I, you know, and I, I was blessed. Uh, no doubt about it. I was blessed. I played baseball from six, seven years old till I was 35. And most, most people don't get a chance to do that. So... Would I love to play till I was, till now, obviously. But, you know, there comes a time when you realize that you can't, you can't. It's one of the things that I also had was realism. Um, if, if, if I had, all I wanted was a chance to play because I would have known had I, if I didn't belong and I would have accepted that. Uh, but all along I saw I could compete. And so I, I wanted to compete and, and, uh, but I knew too when my skills were slipping and it was time to get out. So thinking realistically 
thinking, um, uh, not, not, not overestimating your abilities is very important too. Thank you for sharing that. Parents, you can have doubts. Talk about it with anybody other than those you're doubting. Yeah, don't restrict, don't restrict your child with your doubts because they don't have those. Thank you both so much for your time, for everything you're doing. I will put all of the links and ways to connect with you in the comments. Uh, pulling each other along, D3 Day, any other important ways to reach you? Uh, if people are interested to learn more about the collective, let's let's send them to the peoacollective.com. That's our main website for that because that's our main source of funding right now is, okay. is pulling people into our our collective of, of great people that want to change the world but also want their business or their organization to grow as well. Thank you both so much. Everybody listening, until next time, always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.